Hi everybody, this is Paul Fox of the East Screen, West Screen podcast. I just wanted to throw out a quick uh, mention and apology for this week's episode. Uh, the audio is a bit uh, rough in places, so we've been working on some new equipment on both ends, both on Kevin's end and my end, and we're trying to get the kinks worked out. Uh, a couple places uh, the audio is less than desirable in terms of quality. We hope to have that resolved in the you know future episodes. Uh, we'll try and get the kinks worked out as quickly as possible, and we thank you for your patience. Uh, hope you enjoyed the episode, and we'll see you guys later. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, May 1st, 2012. As usual, I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me from his super secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor, all ready to assemble, is Mr. Kevin Ma. Uh, uh, East Screen, West Screen, assemble, Paul. Hello. Uh, hi, everyone. <laughs> How you doing, sir? I'm good. Good. Busy. Staying very busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Been a... Uh... Darting about, watching films, doing work, getting com- getting some side work as well, right? Oh, tons of side work. Yeah. Uh, last week I talked about the the Mado, uh subtitle work, which which is happening right now, um, and I've also taken on a, a script translation job that is due next week. is a very big major Chinese film, so it's yeah. quite a lot of pressure. You'll be able to talk a little bit more about that maybe later. Once yeah. the uh, film gets rolling, right? When, when I say that I can't review the film, then you know what, which one it is. The <laughs> film's already rolling this week, actually. The film started rolling this week. Mm. So it's all com- the movie is going as far as confirmed, as far as we know. All right. Well, we'll look yeah. forward to hearing yeah. some news about that. If you are new, this is the show where we talk about films from Hong Kong to Hollywood and lots of stuff in between. Uh, coming up on this show in particular, it is Avengers Week here. We are going to be talking a lot about the Avengers today for our West Screen picks. Uh, don't have any screen film to talk about, but Kevin took a trip across the border up into the mainland of China, and he's going to be talking about a couple films that uh, he saw there very briefly. Before we get into all of that, though, how about a little bit of news? All right, so we got quite a few news stories this week. It's been a pretty busy week. Uh, up first, our couple friends of ours were off in Italy at the Udine Film Festival, seeing stuff, uh, the Far East Film Festival, seeing a lot of stuff going on there, uh, having a very good time eating lots of pizza and watching lots of movies, which is kind of my idea of an ideal vacation. I mean, what better way to, to chill out, right? You go to Italy, have real pizza, and watch a bunch of movies. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm totally jealous. Um, our friend Kozo and and Tim Youngs, of course, went, and and so did uh, Hong Kong filmmakers like Pan Ho Chan and uh, Fung Ji Chang all went there. And in fact, um, as I was reading Pan Ho Chan's Weibo, after he stunned the festival, he went over to to Florence, and now he's in Sicily, mm. uh, apparently uh, loosening up. Probably and, getting more ideas for the his island, next movie. And, and I'm quite jealous. Yeah. Really. Um, so 
a little bit of news coming out of Udine uh, is that Silenced won, uh, won the awards, right? Yes, that's right. Uh, Silence. I think we talked about it on the show here, right? It's about yeah, a couple weeks ago. About the uh, child abuse uh, based on a true story, a child abuse happening at a school for the deaf. Uh, film is coming out here in Hong Kong in mid-June now, now pushed back to mid-June. Uh, the film won the Audience Award, which is essentially the competition over at the, the, the film festival, is that the, the, the awards are based on uh, audience votes. So the, the film um, picked up uh, the top award. Um, the second place film went to um, the, the, the road movie Korra, also known as uh, One Mile Above, which played in Hong Kong last year at the Hong Kong Asian Film Festival and also played in China around November last year. Uh, it's also a film that I like quite a bit. Uh, that film won second place in the votes. And the third place went to another South Korean film, The Front Line, which uh, represented Korea at this year's uh, Academy Awards, but came up short. Hmm. Uh, and, and the question that we, I think I brought up was that 33D Invader, um, which I was told had really, really good reactions, uh, was really well received by the Une, Une Midnight audience. I was curious, what place did that film get? Well, well, w- would it have gotten a place? I mean... Uh... Sure, I mean, it's eligible. We played at the festival, so people voted, and people voted all the same. So I was wondering what... And considering that uh, people connected or not connected but i guess they they reacted quite enthusiastically to it i was wondering how how where it ranked yeah in the audience yeah. votes well, it'll be interesting trying to dig that information up maybe we can uh plug uh, tim young's for some more details when he gets back yes um but speaking of a uh, 33d invader uh, a little bird kind of told me that uh that film may show up in another awards grouping oh yeah, yeah. that has yet I, to be released I, I heard about this <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that once that uh once uh once that awards uh, list gets released. Um, you got some other news though about some uh, a, a, what is this? A Chinese businessman wants to build China wood. I mean, yes. I, I heard a story last week something about some really rich billionaire wants to build a new Titanic or something. Um, but this guy apparently wants to build a, a Chinese version of Hollywood, I guess, or Bollywood. Yeah, well, as the rule says, there's a rule, the saying goes, you know, uh, a man's ego is as big as his uh, wallet. So uh, apparently this uh, Chinese entrepreneur called uh, named Bruno Wu, who has um, uh, I, I apparently done a few small films. Um, he is go, has struck a, a deal with authorities in Tianjin, the city of Tianjin, to build a major production facility that he's going to call the China Wood Global Services Base. So it will very much be like... Um, Apparently, it will be a hub that will encompass um, possibly a production studio, uh, I guess, post-production facility, like 2D, 3D um, conversion, uh, marketing distribution center. So it will be essentially one huge uh, studio lot. That's kind of like the Handian studio up in up in China, except this one will will be the one-stop place for Chinese mm. cinema. Um, so what do you think, Paul? I mean, I think... I think um, Last year, we already heard about a major animation facility being built in another city. So it seems like China is really trying to build up the the infrastructure to to be ready for a burgeoning Chinese film industry, whether it's animation or live action. Um, do you think this is a good idea, Paul? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, when it comes to doing stuff like this, I mean, I know that when I was in Florida... And I was I was working as a production assistant on a on a really really super low budget film, 
at a studio in South Florida. I can't remember the name. It was, I think it was called Greenlight Studios. I don't remember. It was this really dinky studio uh, down in Miami. And one of the big problems they had was that there was nothing else. There was no other support there, right? So it's like anytime they needed materials, like the special effects guys were always ordering stuff from California. The equipment guys had to have stuff shipped in all the time. I mean, the studio had some basic studio facilities, but... You know, the problem was is that they were trying, you know, it was this idea that Florida for a while was going to be the next Hollywood and people were coming in and investing and trying to set up and, and Orlando um, went through this thing as well. And it, and it, it kind of took off in TV. I, I know they do some, did some of the Nickelodeon shows up there near Universal and stuff and because um, they had some of the support there with MGM Studios and whatnot, but it's still no Hollywood because it really, you know... Hollywood's grown up over the years because of sort of the, you know, time and, and the, the organic linkages that have built up of, you know, different different jobs and different outsourced units and, and supports for those units. And I don't think it's enough just to take in a bunch of money and say, all right, this is here now. I mean, if you look at the mega malls that China's been building, they've got like, like four or five of the biggest malls in the world. Uh, uh, you know, out of, out of like the top 10, China has four or five of them, you know, these mega malls that, that these big, you know, rich developers go in and they just throw them and they've got, you know, their theme park designs and they're just literally thousands of shops. I mean, you couldn't spend an entire day at some of these places and visit all of the shops because they're so expansive and so large and they're not making money, right? Because they're, they just throw them in these areas where the people living in these areas don't really have the kind of incomes to go to these places and they're relying on tourists to come in from outside and i think doing a movie studio or or trying to plan a hollywood is kind of the same thing it's like you you just can't it's not enough to put it somewhere it's something that's got to develop over time you know Mm -hmm. so i don't know it just seems like you know if he wants to waste his money some people are probably going to get rich off of him doing it but i don't know if it would be something that would catch I could be wrong. Time will tell. Well, the thing about Hollywood is that it happens to be Hollywood. It, it, it's based on a, a city. I mean, the city just happens to have all these, you know, movie studios that are there. And the advantage of this is that Tianjin is actually very close to Beijing. It's about, uh, according to Wikipedia, a 30-minute ride on the high-speed rail um, and from Beijing. And Beijing is essentially where all the major film companies have their headquarters. Yeah. So the advantage here is that it is close enough to where the heart of the Chinese film industry in that it, you know, it's going to convince enough um, major companies to move in there. Um, I'm not sure about production, but at least in terms of, you know, moving headquarters, this is, this is uh, uh, I think, a doable uh, distance in that if they do buy his idea, you, I could it, it could possibly become this hub mm. for the next China, for the Chinese film industry. Now, of course, the, the word China would just seems it, it's a very bad tiling choice. Let's mm. just say it, it's always almost too obvious that you're trying to build, like you said, you're trying to con- intentionally build something out of this, and it's not going to work unless the, you know the the film industry goes along with it. Just like Cyberport here in Hong Kong, they built this hub technology hub out in the middle of nowhere and in, in, over in Aberdeen and trying to attract, uh, intend, intending to attract tech companies and no one moved in. 
it's a complete flop because they wouldn't move into that facility. Yeah. So it's going to see how it's going to it's going to depend on how how much the film industry, the rest of the film industry, cooperates with yeah. this idea. The next bit of news comes from uh, Slash Film, and this bit of news is about uh, a little bit of controversy over the upcoming film The Hobbit by Peter Jackson. Now, I think they had a they had a preview screening at uh, it was CinemaCon. Uh, yes. about a week ago or so, and they showed 10 minutes of footage from The Hobbit. Um, and a lot of people were coming out of it with some pretty negative responses to it. They were saying that um, it looked like cheap video and, uh, you know, it, it just looked kind of... It, it didn't look good, basically. And they found out that what's... The result of this is that uh, the film's been shot at a higher frame rate, uh, 48 frames per second instead of the normal 24 frames per second, and that this is presenting a much more video-like look uh, because of this, and that you know people are not used to it. And Jackson himself, in this article, um, he says he's not too concerned about the criticism, and uh, this article coming from, uh, if I can get her name right, Angie Han. Um, it says, uh, doesn't seem too concerned about criticism, criticism just now in his viewer, in his view, moviegoers will come to accept 48 frames per second. They just need to get used to it first. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Mm. Um, I, some people were saying in some, in, in some other places, um, that this was perhaps similar to when film went from silent black and white to color and how it took a while for people to get used to that because it was something new and it wasn't what they were used to. And, and I can kind of understand that, but we've had video look for quite some time. Um, you know, video look goes along with things like old Doctor Who episodes, uh, daytime soap operas, um, TVB dramas, uh, what else? Um, um, independent movies right home video I, I, so i'm i'm you know i'm i'm not trying to defend film look here but i i don't know if people will necessarily get used to it i mean but you I, should de- you should defend the film look why why not well because part of part of me wants to be progressive part of me wants to say yeah it's time maybe it's time to move on to the to the coming thing um but at the same time i don't know i mean cuz I don't know if you, you know, on some of the newer TVs, right? Like on my TV, you can up the, um, it's not the frame rate, it's the refresh rate, right? Mm-hmm. And so it can make like your Blu-rays look almost like video. Yeah, it, yeah, that's what I was going to bring up, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes that looks really weird, you know, and you can, that's a setting that you can change. You can turn that off, and I have mine turned off because it's sometimes, you know, it it just seems to be make whatever's going on, especially if you're looking at a period piece, that it just seems a bit, I don't know, too clear, too clean. Too real, right? Too too real, yeah, yes. to some extent. It's In other things, it can look great, you know? I mean, I, I remember seeing, um, seeing I think it was uh, one of the battle scenes from uh, The Phantom Menace, the first, Star, you know, Star Wars 1, and that looked really good, you know, because it was all CG stuff, and, you know, it's science fiction, and it gives you more of a sense of being there, but with period stuff or with something that's more fantasy, 
it makes me wonder if you know the people are looking at the hobbits and things and 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 the, these guys in in their costumes and going well it's kind of like co- being at a cosplay convention <laughs> because it's so real you know maybe that's part of the problem um but he says you you get used to it reasonably quickly um we've obviously seen cuts of our movie at 48 and in a relatively short amount of time you have forgotten uh the frame rate change it is a more immersive and in 3D, a gentler way to see the film. So not only is it going to have this this uh, faster frame rate, but it's also in 3D. <laughs> so it's like a double whammy, right? Yeah. Uh, I've been reading about this all week. And essentially what what they're saying is that, yes, 48 frames is clear. It is is going to up the game in terms of you know uh, um, resolution and... I'm not sure if resolution is the right way here, but it's going to be super immersive for the, um, especially in the action scenes. Apparently, the scenes with Gollum and and the 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 battle scenes look great in 48 frames. But the problem is when you go go into like we're saying in fantasy films where you're building sets, the 48 frames kind of reveal that makes the sets look like sets. Yeah, you know, and and you're right. When I look at those, uh, when I do the refresh rate thing on the TVs that I walk by in the shops, it looks too real. It's it's not. And I, and I hate to use that word with, with that word because you can't really define the word cinematic, but yeah, it doesn't look cinematic. Hmm. Um, and you know, it, it's kind of like when Michael Mann made when he shifted to digital, and I think he and he sort of made intentionally made his movie look like they were made on home video as as much as possible. You know, I think he kind of relied on people to get used to that look, but I still can't get used to it because it looks like freaking home video. Someone holding a handy cam. Yeah. You know, like Public Enemies and um, was it Miami Heat when he did that on those movies? And I, of course, I have to see for myself when it comes out. And um, I'm sure 48 Frames is gonna is gonna up the game in terms of you know forcing filmmakers to to make to really pay attention to the details when they build when they shoot their films and making you know set designers pay attention to details, making um, everyone up their game in that in that you know uh, in that way. But I am very you know, I, I I kind of like this. In fact, I still prefer watching film over digital projection. Yeah. So if you want me to, you know, move not only up to digital projection but up to freaking forty, double the frames at what is at now, it's gonna be hard for me to accept. Well, I I think my biggest concern is not that filmmakers want to push in this direction. I think my concern is with this particular film. If he's gonna do this with this particular film and it's gonna give it quite a distinctively different look from the look he's established for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I think that's going to bug me a lot, you know, Um, because, I don't know, it's kind of like the Star Wars prequels, right? I mean, it was such a long period of time between the two that the the effects are completely, you know, they don't feel the same in many places. And here you're going to have a completely different look to the film that leads into these great films, but earlier films that, and it, those are going to look completely different. So it's not going to seem like it fits, right? Um, in, in, in some ways, it's kind of like the old Rankin Bass cartoon. You know, you had the Rankin Bass version of The Hobbit, which was made for TV, and it had one animation style. And then they did the 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 Lord of the Rings film, which was using rotoscope animation, had a completely different look and different kind of stylization. Both are good films, but they don't really match together, right? I don't. I don't have to worry too much because uh, Jackson has guaranteed that um, because forty to upgrade to forty eight frames, it means all the theaters have to 
bring in new equipment. So um, um, I don't think they, they expect all the theaters to be upgrading by, by the time The Hobbit comes out. So they will have a 24 and a 48 frame version available in cinemas. And, you know, and if you talk about the look, right. it's all but, but what's too. That gonna to, mean, um, what's that going to mean later for DVD or, or Blu-ray? Blu-ray? Is it, are you going to have the option to view it in, in the, one the or thing the other? Is, I don't think the televisions are equipped to play 48 frames anyway. Yeah. Because that, that would take, again, once again, an upgrade of the equipment. And with 3D Blu-ray now, people, you know, with people having to upgrade to 3D Blu-ray, I don't think they're quite ready to upgrade new equipment again just to, you know, match freaking frame rates. So I, I think um, in terms of we don't have to worry about home video at all. If they're going to make a 24-frame version available in theaters, I think we don't have to worry about video. And honestly, if they're going to make, um, what, was that? what was my second point? Anyway, it, it, the 48 frames is, is a new thing, and yes, I know Jackson is essentially on the same boat as, as um, James Cameron in terms of forcing people to adapt to it, but I think there will be certain, you know, in a way there will be enough objection. It's going to take a while to adapt, and, and many people will ask if, you know, right now 3D isn't, is already not yet necessary for all films. It's going to take another few years to, for people to, you know, to have people wondering Will is does film need to be, do films really need to be made in forty eight frames? Hmm. So it's going to be a very long time before we are forced to adapt in any way. Yeah, Kevin, I'm going to have to ask you to move back from your mic a little bit because you're still okay. coming in hot. Okay, moving up. Okay, how's this? Uh, that's better. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So next bit of news: uh, Kermit the Frog tells us that in fact it is easy being green. Uh, I guess the Muppets were in the green because there's a Muppets sequel planned. Uh, this coming from um, movies over at msn.com. Uh, says Kermit, Miss, uh, this, uh, the author of this article is Tim, Tim Kinali, if I'm saying that correctly, from The Wrap. says Kermit, Miss Piggy, and the rest of their felt-covered friends will be returning to the big screen. Uh, Disney announced at CinemaCon, also the, where the Peter Jackson clip was screened, uh, on last Tuesday, that uh, it's working on a sequel to the 2011 hit The Muppets. Um, James Bobin is returning to direct the project and is co-writing the script with Nicholas Stoller, who co-wrote last year's movie with star Jason Segel. Um, a release date for the sequel has not been announced, and they have not said whether Jason Segel will be attached or not. But I like, I like Muppets, so yeah, uh, bring it on. Sure, it was meant to be. You know, it's this is the type of thing they could keep doing, like just like the old Muppet movies. Yeah, it's time to yeah. mut the mut mut. It's time to light the lights. Sorry, <laughs> is this the first time you sang on the show? Yes, first and last, yeah. hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Noel. Let's get into a couple news stories about the big, the big uh, Avenger in the room, as opposed to the big elephant in the room, right? Do, do uh, Avengers. For the Avengers? Yeah. What's that? Do we have something on the soundboard for the special Avengers? I, would, I was trying to find something, and I could not find anything really suitable. Um, but Michael Wong has this to say. I'm pleased with the outcome. Yeah, very pleased. <laughs> uh, because Avenger goes boom at the Hong Kong box office. Uh, at the Hong Kong box office. Has not even been open for one week here, because uh, it opened last Thursday, and we're here on Tuesday right now at the time of this recording. Um, but it has been doing gangbusters. Uh, I don't know what the screening was like when you went, but when I went uh, to the Sunday morning screening, which I had to book almost a week in advance because most of the seats were already sold out, it was a full house uh, at the early morning show. I was at 
And the numbers have been, it's like, it's broken all records. Am I, am I correct in that assumption? Uh, I'm not sure about single, oh yeah, it has broken the single day record. It made 11.14 million Hong Kong dollars on uh, on on one of the weekend days. Um, in four days, it made 33.79 million Hong Kong dollars, which, you know, beats the highest grossing Chinese language film of the year, Love and the Buff, by 6 million. Hmm. In four days, it has already made over 40 million uh, Hong Kong dollars, which means it is now on track to beat the Transformers, uh, the third Transformers. Yeah. Uh, which is great news for me, by the way, because I, you know, <laughs> I personally think, you know, it, it shows that Hong Kong people does have some traces of taste, that they do like good movies rather than just movies with uh, big special effects. Uh, it, it, yeah, ha- Battleship hasn't been made half that money. Mm. So, yeah, it's amazing uh, how well it's doing. And I'm quite surprised because it's not like any of the. Marvel movies have done equally well. Uh, I think Iron Man is like 20-something, 20, 20 to 30. Uh, I think Iron Man 2 did like 35 or 40. It, it got beaten by Iron Man 2. Mm. I think Iron Man 2. So it's not like the Marvel movies are, are, are especially popular here in Hong Kong, but when you bring them all together, and suddenly, you know, it's like a week, 40 yeah. million. And I mean, Marvel itself is not, you know, really big. Uh, you know, you, it, you'd be hard-pressed to go out and find uh, <clears throat> any of the comic books... Or things like this, you might find some of the toys and Toys R Us, um, you know, movie tie-ins and stuff like that. But it's not like people avidly read uh, Marvel-style comic books over here. Yeah, I think many of them just know the characters, uh, you know, like, you know, like, like the way they know Superman or the way they know Batman is that they never read the comic book, but they, but they know the character itself. So, so, so that kind of makes me worried. How many people are actually going these, going to the film, knowing, having seen the previous films. And we're going to talk about this a little later when we review the film, of course. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it makes me a little worried. How many of these people actually just, are these people just, just kind of going because it's popular or is it because, is it because they actually like the characters and they've seen the previous films and they want to know what happens here? Yeah. Um, Matt in the chat room, he says there was an article about Hollywood shifting to overseas openings first to avoid another John Carter style bomb. Um, yeah, we've, we, uh, reviewed Battleship, uh, you know, what was it, uh, last week? Yeah. And that's not even out in the States yet. Uh, I was talking with my parents over the weekend and I was like, um, they were like, what movies have you seen? And I said, we saw Battleship. It was great. as Battleship's not even out here. Um, so yeah, we got Avengers a week early, which is great. A lot of my friends in the U S are jealous. Uh, so I get to rub it in their nose. Cause a lot of times they get to see stuff before I do. So I was kind of pleased with, uh, with a little bit of luck that was thrown our way this time. Um, Matt says the idea is being that foreign fans are more satisfied by stuff like special effects. That is true. I mean, yeah. I've had numerous conversations with some local friends about, the film the day after tomorrow yeah um which they love and i can't stand um (laughs) and but that's a story for another day Um, because they're not watching really the story per se is i think they want to get they want to get the the money's worth i think in that way is that you know you pay but it is it it is a really good point that you make because you know the standalone films did okay but nothing like this so yeah. it makes me wonder, is it just the combination? I mean, the stars, maybe, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is a bit of a draw, but Chris Evans, no. None uh, of the stars. You know, Hemsworth, yeah. no. Ruffalo, yeah. no. I mean, so Samuel Jackson, uh, you know, no. snakes, snakes, snakes on a Plane was over here. People saw it because of the hype, but, you know, he's not a huge draw. So 
Some, something no, they did speech. with the marketing or 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 something because I mean they they did have big posters for up for like a month and a half, letting you know it was coming. Um, so it was kind of in your face for a while. Um, you know, Pizza Hut had a, has a promotion; they're giving away little figures if you order a pizza. But I don't know what. Why is it because it's a holiday weekend? I, I think it's it's because. Um... The, like I said, because they don't read the comic books, but they like, the, they, but they know the characters, mm. and I think they like the idea of the, all these characters coming together. They think it's some Hollywood genius, yeah. <laughs> or something. It's like, wow, bring all these people together. Wow, that that's something that you know, I never knew this could happen. And then they, I mean, they just went in kind of. I mean, that's why I'm worried. They kind of went in cold, not knowing you have to watch like the first four or five movies yeah too and that it connects directly to those movies um and and it was actually part of the comic book universe um but yeah um it's well of course uh when we talk about opening movies overseas first um i think it's also in a way to avoid piracy because they're more worried about overseas piracy these days than 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 uh domestic uh piracy because you know obviously they have so much more money to lose if they lose the overseas money you know, especially to like big, big budget films like Battleship or John Carter, yeah. um, or the Avengers. Uh, so in a way, that's that's kind of their their. their but you know, I was listening well. to another podcast, and they were saying that even though John Carter bombed technically in the states, it more than made up the revenue overseas. Actually, um, it didn't. It, it total is up to the budget. Yes, it's true. But to make that money, because they share half that money with the theaters. Yeah, but so I, they were saying lost, some. They lost. were saying something to the extent where John Carter was, you know, Disney was supposed to have a big loss this year, yeah. and now it looks like that loss is not going to be nearly as big as they thought because. But, well, no, they have to. They have to. Uh, they have to do. They have to. Uh, they're taking a two hundred fifty million dollar loss, and the studio chief quit over the film. Yeah, that's how bad it got. Yeah, that's how bad it was, um, and. And I hope, they, and some people, of course, will say that oh, it's because Battleship is a terrible movie, and that overseas audience are being used as guinea pigs. And I'm kind of baffled by that. Not, not Battleship. John Battleship Car- was Battleship. John Carter, right? Well, yeah, John. Well, yeah, John Carter. But we talk about the strategy here, opening yeah, yeah. movies early. And they, some, uh, I think, uh, Nikki Fink was saying that you know, uh, oh, Universal is trying to open this movie early and use overseas audience guinea pigs because this movie is so bad that they don't want word of mouth, bad word of mouth from, from America to reach overseas and then stopping this movie from making money. And I think I find that ridiculous. It's not because Battleship is a good movie or a bad movie. It's well, the word of mouth travels both ways. I mean. Exactly, and and the fact is that America. It's just like a, this last weekend. I was talking with my folks. My dad's like, "Good, bad? Should we go see it?" I was like, "Yeah, go see it. It's it's fun. You know, you'll, yes. you'll enjoy it." So you know, it, it, there's no, you know, it's it's not a one way directional flow with communication, folks. <laughs> it is a very ethnocentric way to think that. Yes. Oh, you know, overseas audiences are being used as guinea pigs because they didn't hear. They'll go see. So they'll American go see anything because it's Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah, it's very ethnocentric of Nikki Fink to think that, and in a way, it might the the, the really great word of mouth from overseas might end up helping the American take instead. Mm. The same for Battleship, even though it's not really getting great word of mouth yeah. overseas. <laughs> All right, a little bit more of Avengers news. Uh, the Avengers actually got deleted. This bit of news coming from the website Gizmodo, uh, and says uh, they were getting ready to have a preview screening apparently, uh, and the film was. Uh, what was uh, put in the trash bin? Uh, this story coming from Kyle Wagner. He says uh, on the um, <clears throat> the uh, the copy of the film being used for a screening last week was accidentally wiped from the server and delayed a full room of angry nerds and film critics. Uh, 
Is there a difference? <laughs> oh! <laughs> I'm seeing the Avengers oh. assembled. But how does something like that even happen? As it turns out, it's surprisingly easy to delete a digital film. Who knew? I've done it a couple times. <laughs> yeah, I delete digital films off my computer. You know, it's, um, it's uh, yeah, it's that that's the thing. If it's just going to be a file, right? Uh, yeah, I don't see how is that more difficult or easier than, than, than deleting something off your computer. It's yeah. the same idea. It is exactly the same idea. Um, it says it, 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 uh, um, it says... It's a click to delete from the server and an are you sure confirmation, as uh, one person explained over the email. Thankfully, the issue was eventually resolved, but it set off a debate over the digital cinema packages that are replacing old-fashioned film reels. Why? Why is there a need for debate? Okay? If you've ever been a projectionist, if you've ever had to work with a platter, if you know what these things are that I'm talking about, you'll know that that is one of the most insanely horrendous jobs you ever have to do putting one of those things together um, working it up reeling it up and if you mess it up if you mess up you know one reel it's like an hour to get that thing uh, fixed so i mean they're they're you know you delete it you re-download it right i mean well the thing is those files are like five terabytes yeah yeah that's true <laughs> and, you know, like that, a nice fiber optic connection that might take you a few hours yeah well no i mean i think that's the okay. thing uh, what was the film black swan we watched last year it was a digital file and the file had a problem it was corrupted it kept dying at a certain spot and they kept restarting it and we got to say that see the same scene for like five times and then finally the guy the managers came and sorry they're like sorry there's a problem we have to re-download the file and we'll give you all uh, a free ticket and you can come back and see it later too so it was like we got a refund and a free ticket so um it, you know it, it's one of those things that happens and it, they obviously weren't going to be able to download it fast enough to suit that screening time but i think by the next session they had had it sorted out yeah, but of course, with with the other problem with that, with downloading, we download the film quickly. Is that I think because each each film, um, each copy comes with like a specific key for security. Yeah. So to to it's not as easy as just we downloading the film, going up to a server and downloading the movies. That they have to, I guess, go through a whole authentication process again. And well, I guess it just goes to show that no, even with digital projection, you do not want some half-witted high school kid controlling the way you project your movies. Why not? I was a half-witted high school kid. <laughs> Who knew how to who knew how to put a film together? I was still a half wit, right? I mean, you put film reel. I mean, film reel. I mean, that's real work. It's not like you know. I didn't click on a computer. Of course, I had trouble just emptying my recycle bin just now. But I could, you know, put on a movie on the digital projection. Yeah. Come on. The uh, yeah, I, I remember a couple times where the the films the the uh, reels were put in the wrong order, right? So you, you'd usually have like I want to say. There was there would be two cans, so it'd be like eight reels, if I remember correctly, and you you you'd, you'd run them up, and then um, if you put like you know so every once in a while you'd end up with the wrong reel, and and in some cases it might be that the reel it would say reel three on it, but it wasn't actually reel three, you know it was like somebody at the process of origin had messed it up, so you would have no way of knowing really. Um, that that was a possibility that would occur but more often than not it was the projectionist error you'd uh put it you know real one real two real four real three real five and so there'd be the movie would look weird um because it would be out of order 
this was before Tarantino was big, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was memories of days gone by. I think things are quite different now. Um, but yeah, I mean, they should just use Dropbox because Dropbox automatically keeps a backup of the file. So and I think it just take it would just take them like a year also, uh, uh, because Dropbox is so slow. It would take them like a year and a half to download. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let us move on. And oh, the other thing too is, you know, you got to figure if uh, you delete the file, don't worry. I'm sure China has a backup copy somewhere. Right? <laughs> that, that, that link to the recycle bin, that does not go to the real recycle bin. <laughs> That's going to Tenjin Wanda yeah. Multiplex 7. <laughs> it's been that it's server been, over there. It's been kind of traveled the center of the earth. Yeah. And went straight to that theater. Yes. All right. Let's move on and talk about a couple movies. Yes. All right, so we don't really have an East screen to talk about this week uh, because we've had nothing new in the Hong Kong front or the China front, um, at least here in Hong Kong. But Mr. Ma, you took a trip up across the border, taking your life into your own hands, uh, going up to watch a couple films in the mainland of China in Shenzhen. So can you tell us uh, what you saw and what people should be on the lookout for in days to come? Sure. Um, I, it is Golden Week in, in, in China, so that means it's time for some holiday blockbusters, uh, I guess so. But according to my, as I wrote in my blog entry earlier, um, this year's films were quite special in that they were not the traditional, you know, martial arts epics or big budget films. Instead, you have um, three films by three young directors, um, three not very proven directors, and each of them are kind of not really commercial in their own way. Um, so I saw two of those films. I saw... Um, the latest film from Ning Hao uh, called Guns N' Roses. Ning Hao, you remember, is the director of Crazy Stone and Crazy Racer. He also did a film called No Man's Land, but apparently that's, um, that never got past censorship, so it's never going to be seen. So this is kind of his, his, his follow-up from that, that little debacle. So is this uh, the uh, life story of Axl Rose? <laughs> yeah, actually, I thought, I thought I saw that name. I thought this could be a rocking movie, right? Yeah. But yeah, it, it's actually uh, the Guns N' Roses do get the, the, the origin of that title does get explained in the film. But it, um, a very simple, um, is a much more commercial film. Um, no Man's Land was, was banned from China is because um, the, the film has too many irredeemable characters. And if you've seen Crazy Racer and Crazy, Crazy Stone, you know that Ning Hao is really good at creating irredeemable characters doing very douchey things. Um, and here he, and apparently he does the same in No Man's Land. So um, in a way, Guns N' Roses is kind of his, his, his way of, you know, showing what he's learned from that process because it's a very straightforward film uh, takes place in 1940, early 1940s in Manchuria after um, the Japanese have occupied. And um, the film is a very straightforward um, single narrative film about um, a, 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 a scoundrel, kind of a thug who, who robbed, who just spends his day robbing people, a petty thief who uh, becomes embroiled in a heist um, led by a, a film production troupe who, who were planning to steal eight tons of gold from the Japanese uh, who were about to use that go to to fund the war. So it's a very straightforward film. It's a very commercial film. Um, it, I call it Inglorious Bastards meets uh, Ocean's Eleven. Um, in the first half, there's a lot of the, the, your typical Ning Hao language-based dialect humor because the, the, the film takes place in the northeastern area or the northern area. So there's a lot of, uh, of course, local dialect humor. And there's some, um, you know, your typical, you know, kind of, 
small time characters and things like that. Uh, Guo Tao is great as the the main character's father. He, he's covered in like white hair, and he's this guy who used to be in the Boxer Rebellion. So he's uh, very his his apparently his, his move is throwing knives, and he's kind of crazy. He's kind of fun. And also there's a priest um, who is more worried about his fermented cabbage than than say praying to God. Um, so it's a, it's a good collection of characters, a great cast, but of course the film is kind of, there's no really surprise in the film because it's a very typical heist uh, film, commercial film. Um, of course, you got your Japanese villains. And one thing I did like here is that the Japanese villains are kind of over-the-top comical evil. And like your, you know, typical Chinese way of showing Japanese is like, you know, real slime ball who doesn't have a sense of humor, who are kind of really sick people. Here, just, they're kind of so they're so sick and over the top that it's kind of funny. Unlike, you know, Flowers at War, which is unintentionally funny. But yeah, but it's not really a great film. I think it's a step back for Ning Hao, who is kind of really trying to trying to please the masses, you know, rather than and, and of course Sarft, rather than uh, rather than kind of moving moving his craft forward so it's okay i think it's recommendable for for people who like commercial heist films i think it's okay uh but a, a film that i really want to talk about is the second film i saw which is um guan guan hu's uh design of death based on a novel and it's kind of a dark comedy it's a very dark comedy about uh, a man in a small town who is who is kind of the town nut he 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 does essentially everything he does uh, irks the, the the villagers, and you know, and he does really uh, in, unsociable things, you know, like like seeking on people while they're having sex, or you know, stealing a chicken, or or you know, stealing someone's cow and things like. That. So the entire town hates him so much, and and they realize that they can't really just just kill him because he might break the law. It's quite weird, but but yeah. So so they hired or they bring back the the town um, a doctor who left the town uh, when he was young and then became a doctor and they hired him back and they all conspired to kill him. So, so it's kind of, um, it's a very dark comedy. Um, that sounds like horrible bosses. Yes. Yes. But it's a little more special because Guan Hu is a very, um, visually assured director and the way he shoots the film is he has a lot of inventive, uh, tricks and, and the idea, I think the, the, the hook is great because they, they spend the first 45 minutes showing how much you should hate this guy or how, how much they hate this guy and and all the things he does and it's kind of funny the way he is and the way he sneaks up on people and the way he pisses off the entire town um, and of course the way that they try to punish him but never works um, so by the time they get to you know trying to execute this plan it, you, you kind of look forward to how they you, you kind of want to know how, how elaborate this plan is and it is kind of elaborate uh, but and I think Huambo, who is uh, who was in, of course, the Crazy Stone, Crazy Racer movies, and uh, was in Hong Kong movies. Hong Kong movie fans might know him better from uh, Hooked on You as one of the supporting characters. I think he's a, he gives a great performance here uh, as that man. And Simon Yam shows up wearing Mozart hair <laughs> as a as a as another doctor who's visiting town. And because the fa- the film the whole film is framed around um, a flashback. Uh, so, so this, the guy's already dead. So, so Simon Yam is a doctor. He's trying to investigate how he died. But so that means he doesn't have much to do. But you know, it's just great to see him in that hair. I thought that the hair did more of the acting than he did. Um, so I mean, it's a very interesting film. Uh, it's definitely one of the more interesting Chinese films uh, I've seen this year. Um, but the, uh, the the problem is that it does suffer from very muddled storytelling the last half hour because. Essentially, spends the entire last half hour explaining everything 
it's all exposition in the end and the the non-linear um storytelling style gets a little confusing and it, that kind of stops the film from being really great but i think design of death is really one of the more special films i've seen this year uh and it's definitely worth watching whether it is a good film or not it is definitely worth watching hmm. so yeah those are uh, the two films i watched all right uh is it uh does it suffer from china syndrome China syndrome meaning? Well, when you when you, I don't know. I get. I guess you could say the same about the you know the film Horrible Bosses. You kind of know if it's tongue in cheek and if it's comedy, that it's going to end up with some kind of a result that plays to that effect. And if we're talking, I don't want, you know I don't want you to spoil the ending or anything. But if we're talking about a China movie, the idea that people are going to gang up and kill a guy even though he's bad is bad, right? So. Yeah. Okay. You know, arguably, they're, they're yeah. not going to go with that result, or if they are, it's got to be a Crazy Stone style ending, right? Where it's. Ah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I do want to go into that. Actually, the film does stretch the 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 censorship quite a bit. In that, it does again create a very dark situation. It has a lot. Of, actually, it has backside nudity, a woman nudity, and it deals with um uh yeah visually it is it does stretch the censorship a little bit, and. I mentioned briefly that yes, the whole film begins on the guy dead. So, um, and the, the the payoff, the payoff is not quite how you would see. It's not like an Infernal Affairs alternate ending. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. It's not like the cops roll in and arrest everyone. It's not that kind of ending. And it is kind of, but it is more morally ambiguous than you would expect hmm. from a China film. Yes. Are we going to get this in Hong Kong, or is it going to get international play anytime soon? I think Design of Death is good enough to get some fest play. It is unique enough that it will get some festival play. Nin Hao, the Guns N' Roses, uh, Guns N' Roses might get some might get some international play just based on you know the fact that it's Nin Hao. Um, but both films are English subtitled, so um, and it will probably be on you know uh, legal legal net platforms uh, later on. So both films are worth watching on that format. It's interesting. I mean, didn't yeah. Guns N' Roses do an album called China? Chinese democracy. Chinese democracy. Yes. Yeah. So now we have a Chinese making an album, a movie called Guns and Roses. So fair is fair. <laughs> All's fair in love and movies, or not. It's too bad. It's too bad that Ning, the Ning Hao movie didn't rock as hard. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, we'll be back uh, next week, I guess. To have a, will we have an East screen film for next week? We do. It's a Taiwanese film Taiwanese called film. Snowfall in Taipei. Yeah. But I'm not sure if I'll make it. But yeah, we'll we can talk about that. All That's right. Me. For now, let's uh, move on to talk about West Screen. East screen, West Screen. So at long last, we are here to talk about Avengers. Uh, this is the story that brings five different uh, films together in the culmination of the. Much-loved comic book series uh, based from the Marvel Universe. Uh, The basic premise of this story, building on the stories that came before it, is that the Earth is now facing a threat from an extraterrestrial force led by the evil uh, Norwegian-based god, myth, whatever you want to call him, alien, uh, Loki. Um, So Loki's back and he's causing trouble. And because he's so powerful and because of the threat that this alien force uh, stands to, you know, the, the, the threat that they pose for the planet Earth, um, the leaders of Earth 
uh, have this special unit known as S.H.I.E.L.D., which, if you've seen the other films, has been present in various ways throughout the other films. And the idea is that now this threat is beyond the scope for them to handle, so they have to turn to these heroic beings. These beings being, of course, Iron Man, uh, Captain America, uh, Thor, the Hulk, and with uh, two extras in Hawkeye and uh, the Black Widow. So we've seen these characters. Uh, They've had five movies to build this up. And what can one say? about that. Uh, I had great fear and trepidation going into this film uh, because anytime there's an ensemble piece, it's typical, there's always, you, you always feel let down that so your favorite character didn't get enough lines or didn't get enough screen time or the, the, the balance wasn't there. Um, I can honestly say that this film had a great balance. Uh, the characters were well-balanced. I think that everybody got a good deal of screen time, both to, to, to show off on their own and in terms of interaction with the other characters. Um, it shows that Joss Whedon really knows what he's doing. Um, he, I, I, think, I think he did. He, he was, a, he was a, probably the, the best person to go to for this. I mean, he's got a tremendous amount of geek cred in the geek community, People love the stuff that he's done on television, even though, you know, some of it's actually failed, but it's still gone on to live a life of its own, despite the fact that TV producers and and others have, you know, not seen fit to not greenlight some of his work. So um, he, he really knew what he was doing. I think he really had a vision going in of how to tie up all of these storylines that were coming uh, from these different places into a very entertaining uh, and fulfilling film, and a film that really does change the nature of the comic book movie. Um, at this point, it, it really does. It, it resets the bar to a new standard, and it's made me think about the films that are coming out. And I've had a few Twitter discussions with some folks, and you know, on, on my thoughts now about the stuff that's yet to come. Um, but before I get to that, let me just say, I was so very happy because they finally got the Hulk right. Um, after the Ang Lee debacle, after the Edward Norton fallout, um, they finally seem to have gotten a character who is both believable as Dr. David Banner, fits the role, can carry the dialogue well, seems to fit in the universe, and at the same time is able to carry forward the, the the effects were able to carry forward the physical presence and the look that I've always felt the Hulk should have. I think they finally nailed the Hulk in the way that he acts and he looks when he is the Hulk and it matches well with the character. This is one of the problems I had with uh, the Incredible Hulk film with Edward Norton. I didn't feel like he was very Dr. Bannerish, and the Hulk in that one, even though it was better than the Hulk in the Ang Lee version, still looked a bit waxy. It, he still looked a bit weird um, in, in the scenes where he's there. And here, I think they got the color, they got the mass, they got the movement. It all seemed to feel right. And it all seemed to fit very well with, with the other characters on the screen. Um, I, I would the, the main thing coming out of this, I know last week we talked about Iron Man 3 and Andy Lau and all this other stuff. 
the main thing that got me excited coming out of this film was I would love to see a Hulk film following along this line with Ruffalo in the role and carrying on with the technology that they've used to to create the Hulk. Um, because I, I like the Hulk as a character and, and I like that dynamic and I think it would be great to see this continue forward. There are some people I've had discussions with who say they don't feel the Hulk is a strong enough character to carry an individual movie. Um, I just think it really depends on the script and what, you know, what kind of villains they bring in, um, you know, to, to push the plot forward. I think it could work, but that's just my opinion. Um, but yeah, the film has really set a new bar for comic book films. It, it makes me look at the new Batman trailer, which came out earlier today and just kind of go, eh, meh, <laughs> you know, me. I, I'm, 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 me. I'm, of course I'm going to see it. You know, I, I'm not, I still look at what they've done with Bane and I'm going, that's not Bane. You know, that looks like the guy from the road warrior, but whatever. Um, we got to see a little bit more of Catwoman and, and, and stuff, but I'm just like, I'm on this Avengers high that they, they got this film so right that I'm having a hard time looking at other stuff. And I, you know, um, I think it was Casey Lau, uh, who's been on the show before from uh, neon punch. He said, you know, Spider-Man's probably going to suffer because of this, you know, because Spider-Man's just getting a reboot, and who really wants to see a reboot of Spider-Man again? Um, what we want to see is we want to see Spider-Man crossing over with the X-Men, right? We, this this is the stuff that fans have wanted to see for a long time, something like this, where it's not a single hero, but it's a, it's a group of heroes. It's not just the X-Men, but it's the X-Men and Spider-Man, or the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, you know, and it's this collage of you know, because that's what they do in the comic books all the time. And so here they did it. They did it well. Um, I would recommend going back and watching, especially the earlier films before going to see this. Last week, I sat down with the wife and we watched Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, and the Hulk. We'd, you know, we saw both Thor and Captain America last year. So we figured those were still fresh enough in our mind. We didn't need to go through all of that stuff again. Um, but it was good to sit down and watch Iron Man 1, Iron Man 2, and the Hulk because there was a lot of stuff we hadn't remembered and it refreshed uh, a lot of the story points for us. So that was good to see. And even though, I don't know, the Hulk kind of bombed, right? Because Norton fell out and e even, even the few connections that that story has to this are very, very loose. Um, I think Ruffalo, as David Banner, um, or Bruce Banner, does does um, make a reference to something that happens in that movie very briefly, but you kind of don't need to see it if you know the Hulk story already well enough. Um, but yeah, if you're going to go back and watch them, definitely at least watch the Iron Mans and the Hulk if you've seen both Thor and Captain America, if those are still fresh in your mind. You'll appreciate this film uh that much more um what else can you say lots of action um some great one-liners some great moments in the film i mean if you if you're somebody who's always appreciated the the versus moments in marvel comics um you'll you, you get some of that here everybody seems to have a moment with everybody um that that matters that's important and so it's handled very very well uh the ending of course there is a little bit of an ending sort of after the immediate credits um there's a there's a little bit of an ending moment that's really really nice 
It's a nod to comic nerds out there. It certainly sets up for a sequel. Uh, some people were throwing around dates like 2015 or something. I don't know. But I'd be surprised. I'd really be surprised if that's... If we go there. I don't know. That that seems a little bit too far into comic book nerddom. Comic book nerddom to really push <laughs> out there to the general audience. I mean, they could do it. I'd love to see them do it. But even this, you know, because this really pushes the plot. I mean, if you look at the original, you know, if you look at Iron Man, if you look at Captain America, um, not maybe not so much Thor because of the nature of Thor, but those are really humanistic stories, right? And the villains in those are very human-based villains for the most part. Um, of course, they're super villains, but nonetheless, it's it's stories of human conflict. But this kind of really pushes it out there. Um, and it pushes it into that spectrum that is can be a bit too sci-fi for a general audience. And I think if they go to where they're hinting at going to, it takes it even further. So I'll be interested to see what they do. Um, I expect the film is going to do very, very well. If Hong Kong, as we mentioned in the news section, is any indication this film is going to do gangbusters stateside. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing it again very, very soon. Uh, I give this... My highest recommendation of the year, I gotta say, it, it's definitely a see it. Uh, Kevin, what do you yep. have to say? Uh, well, okay. First of all, if you go uh, credit to to Marvel for having such a long term plan, because I think they're they first set up the Avengers film. I think did, did the Incredible Hulk movie, the Norton movie came first, or the Iron Man movie? Iron Man was first. Okay. And, Iron Man came first, and okay. then then so, Hulk, I mean, and then Iron Man has been two. Five four years in the making now yeah and you know so kudos to to marvel having such a long-term plan knowing laying the right path all the way up to this um this isn't just some you know knee jerk oh the other movies made money so let's do this kind of idea they knew that everything was going to lead to this so so very much uh so kudos to to marvel for for pulling it off um I'm sorry, if you go into this movie blind, like you were saying earlier, if you go into this movie blind and you're confused about what's going on, it's really your fault. Yeah, it's kind of like going going in and watching, what is it, uh, uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 without yeah. seeing anything else, right? I mean... Yes, yes. But even even, so. even so, you could go into this movie and it's still very solid in terms mm -hmm. of the storytelling, in terms of bringing you somewhat up to speed on the characters and and what's going on. I, I think so, but so that in, in in that sense, I think Joss Whedon was very lucky and unlucky at the same time. So he he was very lucky in that he didn't really do much character introductions because they had four or five other movies to introduce these characters. But at the same time, he's very unlucky because he is working with movies that already had four movies. He's working on something that already had four movies coming up to it or five movies. Um, and of course, he also has. I'm sure Marvel was watching him like a hawk from the beginning to make sure it doesn't screw this up. So so knowing that, I mean, damn, does he nail it? Really, it, it, he really nails this movie. Um, uh, it's it's no, he gets it right. Um, it's no accident that, that Marvel chose him and they chose the right man. Um, everyone gets a narrative arc. It's a very, very great script writing. You have a movie that has, you know, seven main characters, essentially, and all of them have an arc. It's, it's quite amazing and how well balanced it is. Um, like you were saying, Paul, that you know Hulk plays. You know Hulk is great here. I think it's the worst, the best, the best use of the Hulk here. Um, but 
I think it's, it's the fact that because he's a supporting character or a team player uh, instead of his own movie, so his dynamic with the other people and how um, as little spoiler as possible is that they're all afraid of him, essentially, because of the Hulk. Um, and I think that really brought, really helped, essentially helped his character instead. Um, but I think I disagree with you in that his character doesn't really work for his own movie because essentially for the same reason as the other two movies that he's very much too internal um he is an internal character because his his biggest enemy is not some monster it's not the giant dogs it's not the uh i think it i have to disagree i think it comes down to the script i mean this is a character who had his own tv series that ran for several seasons he's had a couple of movies you know the tv movies uh, that were based from the tv series and he's had a long run, running comic book i think if it's well written there's enough there between the power of the character and the the angst of the hum, you know the humanity and the, the the idea of loss of control and rage i think all of that is present in in these other stories you know you've got mm-hmm. you know thor's about power and arrogance um yeah. tony stark is is similar it's about power and arrogance right um, Captain America is more about power and, and what, uh, uh um, you know, uh, na- national pride or, 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 or honor or something like this, right? Balancing but, those yeah. out. But actually, under that argument, I also agree that the, the villains in Iron Man has not been up to standard either. Because, because it is better when, about Iron Man, uh, it is the, 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 the inner, the inner conflict was always better than, than the, the villains. Yeah. I think, uh, and and even for the Hulk, because his the, for a comic book, you can use all kinds of storytelling techniques, including voiceovers or inner 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 monologue, um, especially when you have a character whose biggest enemy is himself. Um, and I think that works much better in like a, in a novel or in a graphic novel, perhaps. Yeah. That's what you call comic books these days. Um, then then a movie. I think that's. I think I think Ang Lee did a better job at the Hulk than than the second film. Uh, Louis Louis look. Terry, what's his name? Um, and he did it better because he 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 did what the character really asked for. Is that it's introspective. It's it's about a lot about himself. And that's why I enjoyed the Ang Lee film more than than the second film. Uh, but is he ready for another film? I'm not sure. And in fact, I'll get into that a little bit in a little bit. Uh, but I would say that Mark Ruffalo was very good uh, as as the whole as Bruce, uh, Bruce Banner. Um, there's plenty of humor. As as we can expect from a, from a Joss Whedon work, and um, I think the the emphasis over the character dynamics, because in the first essentially the first two acts is all about character dynamics, and that emphasis is over you know the simple good versus evil story. I think it's an excellent choice. Um, Paul, did did you read the Avengers? Was it was it its own comic book? Yes. Or was it like just a special? No, it had its own comic series. It's own series. Yes. Did, is the Loki storyline part of the original Avengers? I couldn't uh, tell you. I, I've never, I've never read uh, that far back. I mean, when I was reading the Avengers, it had uh, other members in it, um, aside from you know people that had like, uh, I want to say the Vision and the Scarlet Witch and a couple other people. Um, mm-hmm. But originally, I think it was these guys. I think the Wasp was there. Mm-hmm. Um, might have been somebody else, but yeah, I'd never, I'd never read it back when it was, when they, when it was originally conceived. Okay. But I, I think that the fact that, you know, it's all about most of it, it's about how the team form rather than, you know, a uh, simple, simple, you know, monster of the week story. Um, I think it's an excellent choice. I like that. The fact that is the villain that caused the team to be formed. I thought that's also a very great yeah. choice. Um, everyone 
like I think, like you say, everyone had their moment of the film that that they thought you know was great. And I think one shot, one exactly one shot in the film, really nailed this thing for me. And it's not the shot in the trailer where you know just the camera goes around them and and sees all of them. I think, and you might know what I'm talking about. It's a shot where you see all of them in action within one shot. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, it's a CGI yeah. one. When I saw that, I really opened my jaw and dropped. That, that thought, wasn't the okay, shot that made it made the film for me, though. That wasn't the shot that made the film for you. No, really? the, the the shot that made the film for me involved the Hulk, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and a certain monologue by a certain character uh, that yeah, got yeah, interrupted. Yeah, that, that, that had a really great. great I, I almost yes, wanted to. Too, but I wanted to stand it, up and cheer at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I think people did. I think people, a lot of people clapped. At that moment, and I thought that was a great moment too. I thought it was hilarious. But the movie that we that that but that shot I was talking about really just that went like, okay, wow, yeah. this is what the five movies have been leading to, and th- it all it all boils down to this single shot. That's how good as I thought it, how good it was. Um, I know that we have to get through a bunch of bunch more sequels for Avengers two. One of them possibly is a Hulk movie. I know Iron Free, Iron Man Free, of course. Uh, maybe Hulk, maybe another Captain America, but. Right now, I'm only really interested in Iron Man. I don't, I don't know where else you can go with with Thor or Captain uh, uh, Thor. I can see where they go. I mean, more outer space monsters. I'm sure, right? But I don't know where they could take Captain America now or the Hulk. Well, Captain America's, you know, modern day. Um, there, I think I heard some talk of possibly it being another prequel. Where you know it, it, it's a mission that he did back in the past before, you know he he was uh, he was frozen. But I don't know if that necessarily work. You know, I don't know if that worked because you know, the, like the first film is all about the time, time when he was you know so becomes a hero. Yeah. Um, but right now, only because Iron Man was so because Tony Stark was so good in 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 the Avengers and the other two films that. And and you can see where he keep going because he is such he has so much charisma and he's such a great character that you want to see just him. Yeah. Continue to see just him. So right now I'm only really interested in an Iron Man movie and I'm kind of dreading how long I have to wait for another Avengers movie. Yeah. In a way. But anyway, yeah, it's I, I think this is a great film. I think it's of course the best Marvel film of all five. Um, I guess now six. Uh, so yeah, see it with capital S C E I T man. Yeah, see it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me play this and we will move on. You're listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Kongcast.com for more. We've got a video to talk about this week, so actually I should have played this bumper. The East is blue. Wait, what? Yes, that's right. The East is blue, and we have a Blu-ray to talk about this week, and that is the Flying Swords of Dragon Gate Blu-ray. Now, I'm going to be specifically talking about the uh, 2D Blu-ray release, which even though it says uh, Flying Swords of Dragon Gate 3D... Uh, in the English title, this is actually the two-day 2D Blu-ray disc um, released from uh, Panorama Panorama Corporation Limited. Yeah. Um, so this film uh, looks great. We we reviewed the film 
uh, early, earlier uh, this year. And uh, this is uh, the sequel to Dragon Inn, the 1990s film, which we talked about last week, also available on video. Uh, had a little bit of a Twitter discussion debate uh, with a couple folks on the merits of watching this film or not watching uh, Dragon Inn. And I'm a, I'm a little bit of a completionist. Uh, I think that you will get much more appreciation out of this film if you've seen the original, um, but not everybody agrees with me, which is perfectly fine. Uh, but I stick with my position that I think this is a better film if you ever have experienced the original um, because it is a sequel and it does build on things that happen there, even though it's a completely different cast. Um, in many ways, the same holds true of the film Swordsman and Swordsman 2 um, because uh, you do have a completely, you know, different cast there. I think it's Jet Li, right? Jet Li comes in in, the, in Swordsman 2 and takes over again <laughs> for Sam Hoy. So he's kind of a uh, somebody who comes in and picks up roles, right? Um, you just you just downgrade, you know, like China's what are China's highest paid actors to someone who takes over franchises. Th- that that's that's what he does, right? I mean, he so, did so it. So next thing you take over, he could take over one of the Marvel movies. Yeah, he's gonna take over for Tony Stark. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> um, we all know that Jet Li is as charismatic as Robert Downey Jr. Yes. <laughs> Actually, as we were watching this, the Blu-ray, my wife kept saying, "Jet Li looks so old. He looks so <laughs> old." I'm like, "Well, he is old." He's no young chicken anymore, but he's still got some moves, and he pulls them off nicely in this film. Um, so this basically tells the story of a political... It starts off as sort of a political intrigue uh, between the the Eastern and Western uh, bureaucracies uh, in, in, the, in the Chinese government uh, at, this, at this period, which I, if I remember correctly, I think it's the Ming Dynasty. They're both uh, spy agencies. Yeah, they're both spy, spy agencies, agencies within the, the government, court. but they sort of compete against each other. So it's kind of like if the CIA and the FBI were at yeah. odds. Um, and so basically they are trying to root out some rebels among whom uh, Jet Li is, is one of the leading rebels in the martial world. And um, the, the the story picks up where, you know, they're they're trying to chase these rebels down and they all end up out in the desert at the Dragon Inn. Um, so in many ways, it's similar to the plot of the first, the original film. And uh, the difference here is that uh, once they get at the Dragon Inn, they find out that there's this group of treasure hunters there who are looking for this uh, ancient kingdom that was swallowed up by the, by the sands and who are there to sort of get the treasure. So it turns from this sort of political intrigue to a little bit of an Indiana Jones kind of a feel right at the end. Uh, but overall, it works pretty nicely. You've got, uh, again, you've got Jet Li, you've got uh, um, Zhou Shun, uh, Mavis Fan from Taiwan, the singer. Um, you've got uh, Gui, Guilin Mei, uh, also playing a pretty interesting role. Uh, Gordon Liu shows up for a cameo right in the beginning. Um, lots of good action. Definitely feels like a Tsui Hark film. So how does it come across on Blu-ray? Looks really nice. Um, this is a Region A disc, so again, if you are in the States, uh, this will play on your players. Full uh, HD, 1080p, uh, with DTS audio, comes with both Cantonese and Mandarin versions, and with on and off Chinese and English subtitles, runs for 100 and... 
22 minutes, and there are no special features at all. Um, couldn't believe it. Watched the movie, and I was like, all right, let me see what the special features are. I was going to take some notes so I could talk about them here on the show. Not a single special feature to be found. I mean, I have not seen a menu this limited uh, since I threw in uh, a, a Blu-ray from the 1990s, right? I mean, a DVD from the 1990s. Um, so, I mean, it looks great, but what the heck? Why am I getting a Blu-ray with no features, Kevin? Yeah, this is because they left an entire hour worth of special features for the 3D Blu-ray, which sadly does not have the 2D version. Yeah, and that's the thing, I, because yes. I saw this This was on the shelf right next to the 3D version, and in some cases, 3D versions are coming with both versions. They're coming with... Most cases, actually. You know, most both cases. The, the 3D and the 2D, and in some cases, yeah. you're getting three things. You're getting a 3D, you're getting a 2D, and you're getting a digital, right, that you can put on a device, uh, but not this. And I felt, I when I found this out, I was kind of mad, kind of mad, you know? Um, and, uh, but I don't have a 3D player and I'm not, you know, it's, it's a more expensive disc overall to get that. But, you know, why am I, I want to, I want to write a letter. <laughs> you know, the problem is that no, not, not enough Hong Kong audiences appreciate the film. So they have to find some way to make their money back. <laughs> yeah. But how many people are going to buy the three? I mean, how many people yes, out there in Hong problem. Kong actually have a 3D entertainment system? Henry Tang, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but in, in his, his basement, basement yes. right? But who else? I mean, do you have one? No, no. Yeah. I mean, Kozo has one. Yeah, we know, we know one person. I know one person that has yeah. one. So we should um, we all have to go over to Kozo's house and watch a movie there. And the special features are, I'm assuming, are not in 3D. No, I think there might actually even not be in HD. You know, so they could have very easily uh, thrown a disc in here and included it because uh, the box is a bit light. There's plenty the, the of thing space. Is, we also, I also know for a fact that Trey Hart recorded a commentary for this movie. That might be on a Chinese DVD later. Yeah, definitely, on. definitely not on this one. Uh, it's not on this one, no. Not on this one. It's not on this one. So, quite disappointed. Are you getting the 3D version? I bought the 2D version. You bought the 2D version. Yeah. And right now, I'm, I'm regretting it, but I really want to own the movie, and I know I'm not going to get it. I'm not upgrading to yeah, 3D. Yeah, I'm torn. I mean, so I, I, I can't recommend this movie higher. I, I, I will say this. The, some of the special effects do not hold up under the um you know under the full hd uh some of well, them you can you can really tell that, that they're you know behind a a green screen in some cases um i don't no, re- i don't I, remember having worried, I saw that this movie on imax so if if there was going to be any did you get that sh- feeling any, you know, in imax because i don't i don't remember when i watched it in the cinema there. i didn't get that same feeling that that you know the the effects were that cheap in a couple of the shots but i don't know um, that's another one of the problems. I mean, if if you start doing things at higher frame rates, you know it's going to make bad effects look worse, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, it's a great movie. I'm, I'm, I, I, because this is not a, this is not a cheap Blu-ray. It's a pricier Blu-ray, and I would I would I, I don't know if I could recommend going out and getting a Blu-ray. I might have to say get the DVD, but the problem with the DVD is it's going to be a Region Three. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's definitely worthwhile seeing. It's it's a good thing to have in the collection, especially if you've got the original film. Uh, it's just a so shame. So the film in two D works just as well. 
as a 3D version, uh, except for these special effects. Absolutely. Again, 3D is a non-issue for me. Uh, 3D, I, we should, probably should have mentioned this during the Avengers. I, I saw Avengers in 3D. If I can see it again, I want to see it in 2D because yeah. the 3D was a non-event for me. Um, mm-hmm. And that continues to be the case with almost all 3D films. Um, so, yeah, this film, you know, you, you're going to miss out on a couple daggers coming out of the screen. That's about it. No, I actually, I think... No, I, I disagree on that. Because the thing is, I think Trey Hart worked, knew how, what to do with 3D, and I think he shot this movie. I like The Avengers, which is not shot for 3D. Trey Hart shot this movie for 3D, and I think a lot of the framing and the editing was based on the fact that the movie was going to be in 3D. And I thought the film worked excellent, really well on 3D, which is why I was so torn about not having a 3D version. Hmm. Because the film was shot for 3D, and it does work very well. And in fact, one of the best series in 3D I've seen. So... I mean, not the Avengers. We talk about Dragon Gate, by the way. Um, so yeah, I, I I am really torn about not being able to see this movie in 3D again. Mm. Well, there you have it. It's definitely worth seeing if you're willing to part with uh, a few bucks. You know, you can pick up the Blu-ray and it'll play stateside. All right, let us move on to some comments. So we got a few comments on from our last episode. Um, let me see if I can pull the comments up here. Page is not loading. There we go. Uh, Matt S. wrote in, and he said, the latest Iron Man 3 update is that Andy Lau will actually reprise his Kid Zhao role from the film Future X-Cops, and the Chinese title will be Heavenly Future King Subjugates the Decadent Western Machine Devil. <laughs> so I like that title very much. That's confirmed. Yes. That's confirmed. So thank you for Matt for, for sending in that uh, that title. We are going to... Get that over to Wong Jing and uh, the powers that be immediately. Yes, that so, is confirmed news. Yes, it's real. Yes, <laughs> telling you it's real. But no, we, uh, you know, some some people, on, friends and I were talking on Twitter that, that, you know, they were saying what what was Andy Lau going to be, uh, you know, in in the film, and I, I it's nothing still confirmed at this point as far as I know. But uh, you know, he did do that film film, and it was kind of like ripping off Iron Man, <laughs> in some ways. Uh, a lot of other movies too, Time Cop and. A whole bunch of other stuff, but uh, I'm gonna go on Weibo and 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 say that is confirmed, and then get arrested. Well, there you go. Yes, right. and there there was some news about Weibo. Something about uh, they weren't confirming, they weren't actually confirming people's identities or something like they were supposed to be. I don't know. They haven't confirmed my identity. Yeah. My identity is still safe with you. Yep. Apparently. <laughs> well, that's how you were able to get back from Shenzhen. Yes. Right. Because if they really had your identity, we uh, wouldn't be having this conversation right now. Uh, uh, Jen wrote in. She said, "Well, in terms of Asian male heroes in recent DC comics, because we were talking last week about, um, you know, what would Andy Andy Lau's role be?" And I was saying, you know, one of the big problems in Marvel and DC is that they don't really have leading Asian males. You know, um, in in the teams like the X Men or, or the others. And I said the only one that I could think of off the top of my head was. Uh, Dr. Light, who was a Japanese female hero who was actually replaced Dr. Light, who was a male villain at one time. I think he was a villain for the Teen Titans, if I remember correctly. Um, But she writes and she says, in recent DC Comics, the fourth Adam, Ryan Choi, um, the fifth Robin, Damian Wayne, um, since his mom, Talia Agul, who is, I think she's the daughter of Ra's al Ghul, um, and the fourth Ray, uh, Lucian Gates. I'm not sure about Marvel though, 
Um, and you can tell how far removed I am from comics because uh, I am uh, not sure who any of these people are <laughs> anymore. Um, and then uh, Gary Lau wrote in and he said, Marvel had this guy and he points to a Wikipedia link of Shang-Chi, who is um, the master of Kung Fu. And I should have remembered the master of Kung Fu because I used to have some of the comics of the master of Kung Fu. And he used to pair off with people like... Uh, if I remember correctly, Power Man and Iron Fist, because he was sort of in the Marvel uh, universe. But I talk about a character who probably would not work today, um, because he's very much a stereotype of the 1970s kind of uh, hippie-slash-Bruce-Lee-slash-Asian-fighting dude. Um, and if you just go over to Wikipedia and you see his outfit, uh, yeah, he's kind of like Hong Kong Fooey in human form, right? Um, and I guess he's still around. I was doing a little bit of reading. I mean, they, they've brought him back here and then, but he's not really, again, he's not a superhero. He's just a really good Kung Fu guy. <laughs> so you could change his name to Jet Li, Master of Kung Fu. And, uh, Jet Li could play the role. <laughs> if they did a movie, right? There you go, he's in Avengers. Yeah. Perfect. Um, so again, I would love to see, um, you know, a, a regular... Asian male hero leading the X-Men at some point or leading, I don't know, Alpha Flight or the Teen Titans. Uh, but we, you know, that we, we have yet to really see that. I don't, I don't remember if, who was the guy? Was it uh, Power Man Iron Fist? Was Iron Fist Asian? Do you know Iron Fist? No, you're asking me a comic book question. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to work. Iron Fist. Uh... Fictional character in the Marvel Universe, practitioner of martial arts, created by Roy Thomas Gil Kane. And let's see. Yeah, he was created with Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu. Uh, da, 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 da. What's his identity? Daniel Rand. Yeah, that doesn't sound Asian at all, does it? Hmm. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe one day. And, you know, Andy Lau can... Uh, become a hero and uh, they'll make a comic about him that'll be awesome <clears throat> andy lau best man ever that'll be the name of the comic best comic book hero ever <laughs> yes all right uh so thanks for the comments i think that's going to do it folks of course if you would like to be part of the show you can uh, head over to Kongcast. that's www.kongcast k-o-n-g-c-a-s-t.com and join in the conversation there leave us some comments uh leave us some recommendations some ideas uh, we'd be happy to have some any feedback uh, from you we're glad when you guys contribute of course you can also drop over to itunes and uh, leave us a review or <clears throat> some feedback there uh, twitter.com slash concast if you'd like to follow along with the show uh, you can follow me over at twitter.com slash foxlore or follow mr ma at twitter.com slash the golden rock and i would urge you to do so because he is always providing Lots of uh, information on films, on revenues, on uh, screenings, on all kinds of stuff that's going on. Um, so he's definitely, if you're interested in particularly Asian cinema, somebody that you want to be following. Uh, you can also um, email us directly over at uh, eastscreen at gmail.com. Send us a question, send us a comment, send us a short audio file, and we might just play it here on the show. Of course, if you are iTunes-averse, you can catch us on Stitcher. You can listen to us on your iPhone, your Android phone, your BlackBerry, and your WebOS phones. 
Stitcher is smart radio for your phone. Find it in your app store or at stitcher.com. Stitcher Smart Radio is the smarter way to listen to radio, and we thank them for their support. Um, Kevin, what do you have going on this week? Um, no, I, I'm pretty much stuck on writing this freelance stuff. I, I am prepared to write the reviews for the two movies uh, I watched in China, also Lives in Flames, but that's not going to happen for another two weeks. In fact, I don't think I'll be seeing anyone except for people at work for mm. another two weeks, for next week and a half or so. Oh, but, yeah. that's but I will be on Twitter. Um, I cannot stop myself from going on Twitter and Facebook, so uh, I will continue to be, I will become officially a, what they call Hikikumori. Those people who never. <laughs> no, you don't want to become a Hikikumori. That's bad. Yeah, because right? no one's going to bring, I don't have my mom bringing me food, by the, leaving me food by the door, so uh, I, can't, I can't do that. Well, we'll order you Pizza Hut or something. Right? Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, you can at least get the little, uh, the, uh, the little Avengers characters that they're giving out. With oh, every, that's sweet. every pizza order um yeah so if you are going to be in and around hong kong and you're interested in uh, hong kong cinema you might consider looking us up or joining us for one of our movie nights uh, i think the next one's not going to be for a couple weeks looks like may 10th is that right uh uh likely louching well, one maybe movie? this week but likely the may may 10th for the pang brothers uh fairy tale killer fairy tale killer starring louching one uh, so if you're in Hong Kong, you're interested, uh, drop us an email and we'll tell you how to uh, come out to a movie night with us. And I think uh, that's pretty much everything that we wanted to talk about today. I want to throw out some thanks to some people who helped make this show possible. Um, Rob Gubbers of Snauzer Studios for our theme. Ross Chen of LoveHongKongFilm.com for organizing the film nights. Uh, Kevin for sticking with me through 108, soon to be 109 episodes now. And, of course, you, the listeners, for tuning in however you do so, whether you're in the chat room uh, talking with us while we're recording this live or you are listening as a podcast in uh, so the post-produced form, we appreciate uh, you being there and you help make this show possible. Uh, next episode looks like, and for number 109, we'll be talking about uh, The Cabin in the Woods, another Joss Whedon joint, right? Yeah. Been hearing really good things about that. Um, also a weird looking sci-fi movie that's coming here I hadn't heard about it before but definitely looks like it's up my alley called Lockout Space and, Jail yeah Space Jail uh, and uh, Snowfall in Taipei a new uh, romantic drama from uh, Taipei <laughs> yeah. all of that and much more on our next show until then this is East Screen West Screen wishing you good viewing and we'll see you next week see you next week everybody Fuck. Uh-huh.